Part 3. The Story of It All. Chapter 7. God and Creation. A lot of people aren't totally ready for the information being shared here. It was actually first presented over 50 years ago, and a whole lot of people really weren't ready for it then. It turns out that a truth heard too soon can be more harmful than if it were heard too late. Let's just trust that in this day and age, with all that's going on in the world, it's time. It's really time. These topics touch the greatest questions in existence, and therefore the information is not only difficult to present, but to grasp. Try to do so with more than your head. Use your whole heart, your soul, and your innermost senses. Endeavor to feel the truth rather than understand it. Only this will give you real understanding and perhaps seeds for enlightenment. The order in which these important topics are presented matters. It will be this, God, the creation, the fall of the angels, the plan of salvation, and the war of the worlds. Starting with God, what is there to say? He is great. He is good. He is beyond words. For us humans, it is not possible to know what God is. That said, he is both person and principle. Both are true. In his male aspect, God is creator. As such, in the West, we experience God as a him. In his masculine capacity, he takes action, he makes decisions and determinations. In this capacity, God created the universe with all its laws and beings. We are created in his image, meaning all divine aspects occur, in a lesser degree, within us. And thus, creative ability exists in all of us too. It can't not. The creation of beings, of course, was in conjunction with the divine female aspect, so while in the active aspect, God is personality, active, thinking, and planning, in the female aspect, God is in a state of being. This helps explain why Eastern philosophies experience God more through the peaceful state of sitting in meditation. They see a different face of God. As we look more closely at the fall of the angels, we'll learn about this tragedy in which God was creating new conditions that would allow us all to return to him. It makes sense that Eastern traditions wouldn't have received enlightenment about this aspect of God, which came from his male aspect. Likewise, we in the West have only recently begun opening to the feminine receptive aspects of God. This is why the path to enlightenment for people in the East and West has historically looked different. Looking into this a bit further, we can understand why Jesus has not been an integral part of Eastern religions. For one, they have always rightly put emphasis on spiritual progress above all. This story about creation is of secondary importance then. That said, it can help us greatly to shed some light on the reason for evil and to get answers to other questions which Western minds are most eager to know. 
In the East, they don't feel there is more they need to know. The important thing is how to develop. Further, for Eastern seekers to know the story of the fall of the angels, they would have to hear a lot about Jesus Christ, as he was a major player in it. The East has received a number of truly great, very exalted emissaries of its own, so it's reluctant to recognize that other people, many of whom are, in many respects, not as spiritually advanced as they are, may have received an even greater one. They have seen a true and important piece of the wheel of truth, but may have missed the complete picture. This divine substance with which we have all been created can best be described as a fluid substance of the most radiant matter. It's the life force. And when it is in the flow, in a divine stream, and the divine female aspect is prevalent, it merges with God in a state of being, in a state of slow growth and organic building. When the male aspect is prevalent, there will be help with creation in accordance with God's will and divine law. This is hard to grasp. The words here are so lacking. Even the highest spirits cannot fully grasp the love, wisdom, and perfection of God and the infinite variety of his creation. So if this seems hard to understand, don't sweat it. We can always just stand in awe and rejoice and praise God. Amen. This realization that God put forth most of his divine substance in Christ has led some religions to refer to God the Father and God the Son. So yes, there is truth in this statement, but they are not one and the same. After Christ, so many other creatures came into existence, we couldn't count them if we wanted to. We literally don't have enough numbers available in our world. So this begs the question, why did God create these beings? Being all-knowing, he had to know this wasn't going to go well. This is a very important question. The short answer is that God is love and love must share. That's the nature of love. Of course, he would have realized that if he created beings with free will, misery could follow. But God is great, and he wanted to do it anyway. He figured we'd have the wisdom to not mess things up, abusing our power, and so on. But hey, if we chose not to live within the walls of divine perfection, we would eventually come to the bright conclusion, after having gone through the valley of death, that the perfection of divine law was pretty fine indeed. Thus, we would become more godlike than ever before. Talk about a man with a plan. God knew that the temporary misery caused by deciding wrongly would be nothing compared to the bliss of a happy eternity, especially after going through self-inflicted misery. This is so obvious, one doesn't need to be a very highly developed spirit to see the logic in it. And so God created a plethora of worlds long before our material world existed. Worlds of harmony, happiness, beauty, and infinite possibilities where creative divine aspects could unfold for every created being. Here, 
everything flowed freely and was not covered over by layers of ungodly matter. Those God-opposed layers are what rob us of unity with ourselves and with God. That divine substance, or spark, also called the Holy Ghost, is what we're here to uncover. The Holy Ghost, then, is not one being, nor is it part of a three-part trinity, unless we include ourselves in that triplet, because it's in all of us, whether we're covering it up or not.